0: So Money, Episode 190, Ethan Block.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: Happy Monday, everyone! Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host Farnoosh Tarabi. If you've ever had a difficult time saving money, and I'm raising my hand right now because guess what? No one really likes to save money. I mean, yes, it's nice to see money saved. It's nice having saved, but the process of saving can sometimes be just a pain, a pain in the you-know-what. It's, it's not actually something that as humans we uh, are born wanting to do or being good at. It's just not really instinctive. Sociologists might agree with me and behavioral economists might agree with me. And today's guest, I think, definitely agrees with me. We've got Ethan Block on the show. He's the CEO of a new hot app Yeah, there's a lot of apps out there, but this one, I'm telling you, is hot. When I talked about this to my brother and his friends, they knew instantly what I was talking about. So that's when I knew it was cool. It's called Digit. Have you heard of this? It is a free automated savings tool that you can download on your phone, and it communicates with you via text, and and how it works is you hook up your bank account to this app, And it also simultaneously opens a virtual checking account for you, separate from your existing bank account. And based on how often you get paid, how you spend, all sorts of different variables, which we'll get into during the interview, Digit just uh, saves for you. It sends you a text saying, hey, we saved 35 cents for you today, or $4 for you today, or $12 for you this week. And that's it. You don't have to do anything, it's passive saving. And as a user, you can, with no fee, withdraw that money, withdraw that savings from the Digit account via text whenever you need it. So very convenient, very simple. Not much else I can say about it. I mean, it just works. And uh, you'll be surprised to hear how much Ethan has actually managed to help Americans save. In just a short period of time, this app is very new. And they have, I think, uh, saved Americans something like $20 million. $20 million. Yeah. This is why the app is really successful. It does the hard work for you. Now, Ethan himself has over a decade of experience in finance. His last company was called Flowtown. It was acquired by Demand Force in 2011, and he says that he has been obsessed with personal finance since he was 13, and so he has dedicated his career to working in the space, and with Digit, he believes he is offering a solution for modern problems in personal finance, and I happen to agree. Some takeaways from our time with Ethan. Why he thinks the big banks can't compete with the app that he's created. Sorry. Uh, How the app determines how much to save on your behalf. This is interesting, especially if you don't have consistent income. You are getting paid in drips and drabs. You're a freelancer. You don't get a two-week paycheck. How does the app understand your personal finance behavior to safely guess how much to set aside for you that week? and a sore lesson that Ethan learned while investing his bar mitzvah money, a personal story that he shares. Here we go. Here is Ethan Block. Ethan Block, welcome to So Money. Excited to have you on the show, meeting you for the second time. The first time was at the the competition to uh, be selected as one of several um, FinTech startups in the FinLab Incubator that's sponsored by Chase. So congratulations. I heard you guys won.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, also thanks for having me on the show.
0: My pleasure. It's one of the few, if not the only companies that presented that day, among the others, where I came back home and I was telling my husband about it. I was telling my brother about it. And they were like, yeah, you talked to, you know, Ethan, we love Digit. You know, it's this, <laughs> it's definitely catching on, I would say for sure, among the millennial generation. Uh, my brother is 24. All of his friends use Digit. And I, I like, I'd i like to have you just kind of explain it to the audience a little bit. I gave a bit of an introduction about it before you got on the podcast. Yeah. But tell us about why. I think what's awesome about it is that it's so simple. It totally feeds on our psyche and works easily and beautifully. Tell us how what, what Digit is and, and why it's so great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Digit's a service that totally automates your savings for you. All it requires you to do is sign up and connect your existing checking account, uh, and then you're done. And then Digit will automatically learn your spending and income patterns. And every single day, check in and try and find the perfect amount of money to save. And if it finds the amount, then it'll literally sweep it out of your checking account into your FDIC, Insured Digit account, which you can get access to at any time that you might need it um, and move it back into your checking account for the next business day.
0: And you communicate with users via text.
1: That's correct. Yeah, the whole – so after – so you can sign up on the web, sort of desktop web or mobile web. And then after you've done that, the entire experience takes place through text messages.
0: Gotcha. What was interesting in your presentation when I was moderating, I thought, was that you discovered something along the way when you were troubleshooting the product. And you realized that having too much communication with the user and asking them too often if it's okay, can we move the money, are you all right with it? They don't like that. They just want you to move yep. the money. Like, take care of it for me. That's how little time we have and how little involvement totally. we want in, in our own savings process. And at first you were kind of, you stumbled on this and you thought this was a, uh, gonna be an issue. Like, the company model was dead. Like, you can't, <laughs> but you just decided, you know, we're just gonna stop asking people for their permission. And I thought, can you do that legally? Um, and, uh, and then what then, but then you did it and then the result was, was beautiful. People were, you were able to save a lot more money for people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when we would talk to users, they would say, "Uh, why are you asking me? If you know it's a safe amount of money to move, just move it. And then um, it is legal, by the way, you have to get sort of consent from the user up front when they sign up for the service. Gotcha. Okay. Um, And then once you get that consent, you can sort of move a certain amount with, in our cases, between five cents and $150. Um, is sort of the maximum that we could move on behalf of the user without their consent.
0: And how much money have you saved in general for people since this, this app was developed?
1: I think we just crossed $20 million.
0: Stop. It's $20 serious. million. Dollars. How many users?
1: So we don't actually disclose our user numbers yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We just talk about sort of gross savings and total savings. Um, the biggest reason of which is... You know, the big banks, call it Bank of America, has around 50 million customers. And until we get to a number that I think is feels somewhat competitive, we won't yet disclose the user numbers.
0: Okay, that's fair. So $20 million saved for people who normally would not have been able to save as much or as consistently. I'm curious about the algorithm that determines how much you should be putting away for people. What does it take into consideration? When you say like spending patterns, income patterns, uh, for someone say who doesn't get paid every two weeks, how does Digit understand what's appropriate?
1: Yeah. So there's four sort of key signals that influence Digit's decision. The first one is how much is in your checking account in that moment. And it'll think to itself and ask, is this a high amount or low amount or just average amount? Then it'll actually ask itself when you're getting paid next. And that could be regular pay cycle or even irregular. It'll make a prediction around when it thinks you'll have income in your account and for roughly how much that might be. Uh, Then it also looks at what bills it thinks are coming due within the next week to two weeks. Uh, And then also the amount of that bill. And then so those, are, those first three ones are like basic, good personal finance math um, that are very typical. Uh, the fourth one is sort of where the art comes in. And that's where it looks at how you've been spending money recently. And the goal of that is it can figure out the optimal amount from the first three. Uh, but it can't figure out the amount that you might not really feel is missing without that fourth one, where it tries to find an amount based on your spending over the last week to two weeks, that it thinks you wouldn't necessarily miss if it was gone.
0: Gotcha. Which reminds me, right, when you were giving the example during your presentation, you're not transferring like a hundred dollars, you know, or even twenty five dollars. Sometimes it's it's less than a dollar.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: So I think the average uh,
1: transfer size today is twelve dollars. All right. Across per- all of our users.
0: Four. And you're, you're transferring every week, every two weeks? How does it work? Do you get to choose yeah. the frequency?
1: It's actually, it's actually variable uh, based on what digit decides. What we see is it's usually every three days on average across all the users. So every three days saving
0: $12. And the text that you get now is just, hey, we've moved $12 into your account. It actually
1: doesn't text you oh. when it moves it. You can – so Digit will report to you every week, once a week, what it's done the previous week. Um, But outside of that, you can text in at any time and check your balance and see if there's been recent transfers.
0: It's like your little saver buddy.
1: That's right. Exactly
0: Uh, right. So this seems very simple. Actually, at the presentation, one of the judges was like, I mean, people were speechless after you gave your presentation, not because they didn't understand your presentation or were like, oh, this is just the worst. They were actually really (laughs) into you and didn't have a question because you pretty much laid it all out there. You made it look really simple. Uh, Your numbers were very compelling. Um, And I think one person finally spoke up and said, we don't have questions because this is so simple. What are we missing? So why has it taken so long for someone to develop this?
1: Yeah, so I think you know, the reason it just makes sense to people is, you know, everyone knows they should be saving. Everyone feels they should be saving more, regardless of your income. Um, and yet, when you actually see the rubber meet the road, people don't do it. And they don't do it because life is complex. Uh, lots of decisions during the day, most of which are more instantly gratifying than say putting money aside so the human brain is just bad at this um and we all know that too like when you say to someone and you present this they're like yeah that makes total sense so the solution of having something just saved for you i think would have always made sense but i think the last sort of stop was would people trust a service to do this for them that's the last like very sort of uh progressive experience that Digit delivers that I think until now, I'm not even sure there would have been hundreds of thousands of people ready for this or millions. But this you think, idea... Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I'm sorry. But, but now is the right time because we're so used to... We're, we're so trusting of technology and apps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at our experience, whether that's with Uber, whether that's with Airbnb, like who would have thought with Airbnb that <laughs> people would have random strangers in their house staying in a room on both sides. Like the person staying would want that and the person hosting would want that. Uh, and yet they're now booking 1 million rooms a night. Um, and so it's a generational thing, I think, largely. It's, it's being driven by the outlook and desire and expectation of a new generation.
0: What's been your biggest roadblock, or what have been what have been some of the big learning curves for you as you're bringing this to market?
1: That's a good question. I'm trying to. There's so many that it's hard to just like isolate a couple.
0: Like, did um, you did you overestimate the market in that their in their comfort level? Or are you finding that people are actually really receptive no, we to this? Underestimated you it. underestimated. Yeah, oh.
1: it's blown us away. The level of um, Adoption. The level of tr- Yeah, the level of trust people are willing to have because the promise is so great. This idea of, you know, most people are, are down to try it, just be based on the promise. And then they'll decide whether they like it and whether they trust it after they've signed up and are trying it.
0: And the bank account that you're saving into, that is not necessarily the bank that you're with. It's a separate Correct. account. So you have That's to be right. okay with that too.
1: Correct. Yeah. So the money goes into a digit account, which is in a lot of ways like a PayPal balance. And then that money is actually held at a few banks. It's held at Wells Fargo. It's held at a couple of smaller banks, BFI Federal Bank and Opus Bank. And it's um, held in accounts that are called custodial accounts that then qualify for FDIC pass-through insurance.
0: This seems like the perfect little tool for any major financial institution as an additional perk to banking with them, right? So are you afraid of this happening Like, or is that the exit strategy? Not to sell away – not to give away your entire business model here but if I'm just thinking out loud like um, what's to say that a Bank of America couldn't just do this with their – they have an app and they could create a program – and they all want the millennials. And so they could have created a program where, you know, catering to a younger demographic that's very trusting of apps and technology and easy and going with it, say, hey, we could save for you. We'll do it automatically. If you don't like it, you can stop at any time. But this way, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And we're going to call see. it uh, Fidget
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: or Schmidget. And
1: Bank of America does have the Keep the Change program. Which True, which
0: really I'm, a, I'm a member of that. Yeah. Program.
1: yeah. I think um, – You know, banks are in the business today of being regulated. That's their primary business function. Whereas Digit, we're in the business of building great product. And so I don't think even if they attempted to copy us, I'm not even sure they would get it through their organization in a way that even remotely resembled Digit. Um, I just don't think they could build it. I don't think they could deliver the experience. They're not going to send a text message Monday night at 5 p.m. That's an animated gift celebrating that you just hit $250 (laughs) in your Digit account. Right. I'm not even sure they can based on the regulation they're under. Interesting. And so it requires a partner like Digit to build an abstraction layer on top of the banking infrastructure that can actually deliver the best experience to the end customer. It's it's similar to what, you know, this is probably a bit of a stretch, but um, we're not anywhere close to Apple, but, you know. Apple's uh a, a, they built the iPhone, um, but the iPhone needs a carrier. And so they also work with Verizon, and it needs power. And so I'm out in California, it's PG&E. So the customer actually has a relationship with Apple, with PG&E, and Verizon. Mm-hmm. But Verizon is never going to build the iPhone, and Apple is never going to be a carrier. And I think this is what we're going to see in financial services over the next you know decade or so.
0: Right. We saw this recently with, for example, Northwest Mutual buying LearnVest.
1: Totally.
0: Yeah, uh, you're so smart, Ethan Block. Uh, how, how did how did you? I yeah, I
1: just yeah.
0: I mean, how long has this idea been baking in you before you brought it to market? I know from your bio, you're a personal finance junkie nerd since thirteen. Well, what happened at thirteen? Was it why not ten? Was there something that happened when you were a teenager?
1: Yeah, when I was when I was thirteen, I had uh, my bar mitzvah. And I got a whole Say bunch no of
0: money. Say
1: no more. Right, exactly. Got a whole bunch of money. And it was at this perfect time in the world, this is nineteen ninety-eight, where the internet was coming alive and there was online brokerages. And so, you know, I cashed all these checks and put the money in my account. And then I opened up, I think it was a uh an Ameritrade account and an e trade account even. And I actually started day trading um in technology stocks. And at the time, I thought I was a genius because I just kept making money. Right. But It turns out anyone can make money in the stock market in 1998, regardless of what you were buying. And uh, that was my real first, you know, broad exposure to managing money.
0: Hmm. The ups and downs.
1: The ups, and, Yeah, exactly. And I ended up sort of over the course of two and a half years, um, I ended up tripling my money. So I turned around $7,000 into around $21,000 and then lost everything in April
0: 2001. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right, historically speaking.
1: Exactly. And then that really um, taught me a huge lesson, the biggest of which was I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what stocks truly were. I had no idea how to actually think about them. It was just a casino for me in 1998. Um, and that sort of set me on a lifelong journey to discover what I call sort of the truths underlying finance, corporate finance, government finance, and personal finance.
0: Well, specifically personal finance, what is your fi- what is your financial philosophy for yourself? What's a truism that you've discovered along the way since that, that epic bar mitzvah?
1: Yeah, for me... And again, based on my profession, I like to think about my finances in the span of three plus years. And so it's really helpful for me to get very high level and think about my earnings potential over the next decade. I've even done this all the way up until my death. Um, and then that back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like truly thought about what's the amount of money I will need over the course of the rest of my life. Based on, you know, how I'm living, based on my family, based on how many kids we think we're going to have, and then kind of map it back to today and say, is this an unrealistic sum of money that I don't think I'll make over the course of my life? And is it? No, it's not unrealistic at all.
0: Okay, good. How do we do this? How do we all do this? Like, what, what software are you using to, to, to extrapolate to 20, gosh knows, to 2060 or however many nah. years how you're extrapolating?
1: I use, this, I use a spreadsheet. I have all my finances on sort of the high level, I call it like the God view. It's all like interlocking spreadsheets. Um, and then obviously I have, you know, various investment accounts and I don't actually do, you know, I only reconcile these sheets once a month at most frequent and I don't spend a ton of time looking at um, my, specifically my investments, I guess, because I don't think people should really pay much attention to them if they're properly set up. Um, and then I kind of just go back to living my life and I focus on my work.
0: It I, sounds I, it sounds like you have a very certain financial life and and um, perspective on things. What is there anything that worries you when it comes to money?
1: Anything that worries? I mean, for sure, I would say you know I have a, I have a wife and a young daughter, and so um, having Enough money to give uh, my daughter as much opportunity as possible. point important. That doesn't take much money, right? That's like maybe as much as paying for her college and um, some if she has passions along the way. Being able to sort of bank those as well. That's probably the biggest stress mm-hmm. as, um, related to money. And I think we all feel that. You know, is my family going to be secure? Right is the big one for me.
0: So, would you say that that bar mitzvah was the, your was a the, your greatest money memory growing up? That kind of shaped the way that you think about money today. I always ask us of guests. We kind of got to your history a little earlier in the show than I would normally. But uh, wondering if there's another experience that you had with money growing up that was as uh, sh- as pivotal in a way.
1: Yeah. So I had um I got a checkbook and a checking account, a custodial account when I was in. The sixth grade, um, my mom had set this up for me and I was actually selling, this is like 1996, I think roughly. And I was selling uh, software through eBay and I would get these checks and I would update my checkbook. And this idea that I was getting like accumulating a resource that I could determine what I wanted to do with felt really empowering. Uh, and being able to see it there in the checkbook felt really empowering for some reason to me.
0: So money always resonated with you, the action of saving and investing. It really always uh, fascinated you. That was maybe in your DNA. Did you have a family that was really good with money or money was a very fluent topic in the, in your household growing up? It was dinnertime conversation?
1: It, yes. So money specifically wasn't – business was. Um, and my – you know – my parents aren't great with money. you know. Fortunately, my dad's been like a good earner of money and my mom has been good as well. Um, but we never like, they never taught me or sat me down and talked me about saving and things like that. But they would give me exposure due to like sort of doing things in business very early on to the different, um, the different vehicles of money, like having a checking account and having a credit card at a young age. And things like that. So I got the experience, all the tools and services from a really young age.
0: Gotcha. What would you say is your biggest failure with money so so far?
1: I'm really bad at budgeting.
0: Ah, so there we go. Yeah. You're good at like, earning, good at saving, like, good at planning,
1: bad at budgeting. Right, ter- terrible budgeting. Um, and I'm, I'm not like a spendy person. Uh, I don't really acquire like nice things or need nice things or clothing and stuff, but um so was I don't there, know.
0: was there a time when that really bit you
1: so when I first moved out to San Francisco and started a, a company prior to digit called um Flowtown, I went into i don't know I think I had thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars in credit card debt, but because I knew I had this company that would have some form of outcome, I felt comfortable accumulating that debt. And it was a risk. It was a total gamble. I like those though for myself. I don't recommend people take them. And that could have, you know, I had, there was a point where I was getting phone calls on my phone from my creditors and they would call me from different numbers. And I told my girlfriend at the time, he's now my wife. And she was like, oh my God, is someone stalking you? I was like, I don't know. Let's try and call it back. And I call it back and it's American Express calling me from like 10 different numbers around the country Mm. to get a hold of me to pay my balance. Um, so that bit me. I think
0: awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yikes! Was your girlfriend like, "What am I getting into? This guy's got a I... his debt. <laughs> he's, he's 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 they're hunting him down." Yeah. Was she?
1: Yeah. I don't. I think once she knew it was American Express, she felt a lot more relaxed than if it was actually like a stalker or something like that.
0: Yeah, or like a credit call, co- like a a real creditor. A co- what do you call it? The uh, collection agent.
1: Yep. And I would even, you know, I would call American Express and I'd say, here's the deal. This is like 2010. I say, you know, running this company, uh, it's really hard with the economy. I just can't make this payment. You have to work with me. I'm telling you, I will pay you back. I will pay this balance, but I need you to work with me. And American Express was incredible. They actually worked with me and I just told them I would pay them and that right now I had hit hard times, which was absolutely true. And, uh, eventually ended up paying it all back.
0: Wow, that's a good lesson. You know, if rather than run away from it, just be honest. And what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to, you're still going to yeah. owe it. Okay.
1: And yeah, and for them, like they want to work with you because they rather you pay it back versus them selling it off for pennies on the dollar to some collections agency.
0: Exactly. Smart. Okay, so what was a so money moment for you? Let's flip it, talk about a success, a really. Uh, just when well, you felt like you really achieved financial greatness, what happened? Where where were you and how did you feel?
1: So hard to do <laughs> for me. So I started like overdosing on Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger in my early 20s. And I knew whenever I had come up with any money that I would take a really sort of calculated approach to investing it. In. And I, you know, and I had lost all that money gambling in the stock market in the late 90s. And so I found this truth to me that felt like, felt right. Like I was going to pretty much index my money and I wouldn't pay attention to what friends were telling me. I wouldn't pay attention to what the market was telling me. And I would just do that. And so I started doing this when I had my first, um, job in college at Lockheed Martin and started putting money in an index fund and putting money even in, um, I bonds, and I, it was not sexy at all. And it's now been—I guess it's—I guess it's a, a longer-term payback. But even then, I felt very secure in this belief, and I just keep holding on to that. And I look at the same stocks that I still own, and it's just delivering. And it causes me no stress thinking about it and having to worry: Am I investing in the right thing? Um, and so to now look back when I do this, it's been like seven or eight years and to see that money having grown and using the strategy that I had come up with and felt very secure with is super rewarding to me.
0: Do you manage your own investments and uh, not by, I don't mean active, you know, I understand you have, yeah. but do you have an advisor?
1: No. Hmm.
0: And you, you, you intend you just, because you just, you love it so much, you have time for it. You're interested in this. So no need for yeah, help. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, the the advisor side, I would need more around my psychology of, like, should I sell this now? Should I buy a house? Um, And assess things from an objective standpoint. I think that's where advisors can be really helpful. From the scheme of managing money, it's not, you know, if you have a sum of money, it's not complex. I mean, the advisors in the financial world want you to think it's complex so you pay them to help you. But, you know, I think in last year's chairman's letter, Warren Buffett said, when I die, take 90% of my assets and put it in the Vanguard S&P 500, take 10% and put it in government bonds. Done. And so if the guy who's made the most money investing in the history of the human race says that, and you think you need something more complicated, I think you need to assess your situation and who's telling you what.
0: That's great. I, I, hear, I get a lot of guests on the show who are advocates of in, index funds and passive investing, and I'm, I am of that camp. No one's ever mentioned that. So, uh, that I pretty much seals it for me. I don't know, get listeners, what you think, but when, if Warren Buffett's doing that, then I think that's, I'm going to take a page out of his, uh,
1: that's what I'm saying. his
0: will. Um, what would you say is a, a big habit of yours that helps to keep your money where it needs to be and growing and, and, and in a good place?
1: So taking this high level view of, um, so I, I basically estimate my cash flow for the next three years on an ongoing basis. And I'm constantly looking at what the uh, deficit or surplus will be over the next three years. And then I look at how much money I would have in that three-year point. And so when I, my wife and I start making decisions around moving or buying or whatever, we look at that and we go, this is how much money we would have in three years based on the lifestyle we're living and the decisions we're making. How do we feel about that? Does that make us feel secure, you know, insecure? Mm -hmm. Do we feel like this is a good decision, bad decision? And so it helps get above the, I think, you you can get so in the weeds and it helps get above it from, again, this is my style, but thinking about it from that high level and really impact it has.
0: Well, we talk a lot about, you know, as a business owner, having a five-year plan, uh, having a three-year plan for your money, brilliant.
1: And it could even be longer. I just found three years to be – It's not as you know, abstract. Un- yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Let's do some so money. Fill in the blanks. Ethan, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, not assuming that you play the lottery. A lot of guests hate this question because they're like, Farnoosh, I don't believe in the lottery. I'm like, okay, let's just say someone drops off $100 million at your doorstep. The first thing you would do is –
1: I would take all $100 and probably put it into um, a passive index fund and then not even think about the money for probably a year. And then a year or two years down the line, I would then think about what would be the right things to do with that money.
0: Excellent. The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is?
1: So we use a service called Instacart which makes a, it it's a small premium on your groceries. Um, but they deliver them to you here in the Bay Area. And I think it's absolutely worth it. It saves me a bunch of time and my wife a bunch of time um, from actually having to go into the grocery store and end up buying things we didn't even intend to buy.
0: Exactly. I, I'm all for that. We have Fresh Direct here on the East Coast in New York City. It's great. It's uh, great. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of a premium, but like you, you can also – have things coming to you on a regular basis it keeps your list from the last time you ordered so you can just kind of mimic what you've bought and it picks up on patterns so it's great one thing that I spend on that is my guilty pleasure my biggest guilty pleasure is
1: nice hotels probably
0: like um, what's like your the the one must-have you have to have in every hotel
1: oh it depends I I can definitely stay in not nice places and I have all over the world but if, you know, I can I prefer hotels in like the extreme luxury category like the Ritz or something like this. Mm-hmm. Just, just it's about the service for me than anything else. I place a lot of value on customer service.
0: The one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is
1: spending on experiences is Way more fulfilling than spending on things.:
0: I totally agree with that. And actually, so studies show that that can lead to happiness.: Totally. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because
1: so i I've a lot of money to donors Choose, which is all around education and providing resources to um, public school teachers in the u s that might not have those resources from the county or city to buy supplies and do things with their students.
0: That's awesome. I just judged uh was a, a judge on a panel for a bunch of uh donors choose um fundraisers that were teachers that were promoting financial literacy in their classrooms. I think we picked about so, 10 finalists. It was awesome. It's so great. And there are a lot of uh a lot of interesting projects going on. So yeah, everyone check out donors choose if you haven't yet and um and uh you know, th- th- you can really make a difference. Money goes directly to the project. No overhead. You
1: can pick the communities that you live in or the communities around you. Mm -hmm. People always talk about focusing your energy in your community. It's a really good way to get access to that in a really fast way and have, you know, have a small impact.
0: And last but not least, I'm Ethan Block and I'm so money because.
1: Oh, that's I have such hard problem talking about myself like that. (laughs) I need to work on that. Um. (laughs) I'm so money because I wake up every day and I work on something that gives me great meaning and fulfillment. And then I go home to a family that gives me great meaning and fulfillment.
0: Sounds good to me. Sounds really good to me. Thank you so much, Ethan Block, founder of Digit. Uh, Everyone, check out the app. I'm going to download it after we get off this podcast because everyone could save a little bit more, like you said. I think I could even – I mean, you know, $12 a week for me, it's – I wouldn't think to do that. But if someone else wants to do it for me, I'd be more than happy. Thanks so much. Thank you very much and, and best wishes. Appreciate it. Thanks again to my guest, Ethan Block. If you'd like to learn more about him, his website is ethanblock.com. He's also on Twitter at eBlock. The app is called Digit, and you can learn about it at digit.co. Save money without thinking about it. That's right. We've got the transcript for this interview and all of the previous interviews on So Money at somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there and having a good time, why don't you ask me a question? I love answering your questions or responding to your comments, every Saturday and Sunday, I respond to you. And I look through my mailbag uh, of questions that I've received on my website. And you just click on Ask Farnoosh over at so somanypodcast.com and send me your question there. And if you'd like to connect with me one-on-one, I offer every week one free 15-minute money session with me. And to qualify, you will need to leave an iTunes review. So if you're interested in connecting with me, leave an iTunes review for this show, and hopefully we will make it happen. And I select the new person every Saturday. So check out the Saturday podcast to see if I announce your name. Thanks again to my guest, Ethan Block. Thanks to you for listening. Hope it's been a great Monday. Whatever point you're listening to this podcast, if you just started your day, hope it's a good one. And if you're winding down, hope it was so money.